Good evening, everyone. My name is John, and I'm a, he a member here at Embassy Church. Uh, I just want to give thanks to Pastor Phil and to Embassy for allowing me to give the Christmas Eve message tonight. Um, today is Christmas Eve, which means tomorrow is Christmas Day. And it seems like a big deal, doesn't it? In the United States, Christmas is a federal holiday. And although it's one day, we also refer to it as the Christmas season, right? Some Christians observe Advent, which takes place, or it begins four Sundays before Christmas for a time of prayer and fasting. You, we have Christmas trees, Christmas gifts, Christmas cards and meals, Christmas lights and decorations, caroling, wreaths, mistletoes, chestnuts, roasting on an open fire, and Santa Claus. On a planet of seven and a half billion people, over two billion celebrate Christmas. Within a 36 to 48 hour period, almost a third of the entire existing human race celebrates this day. So it seems like a big deal, but why is Christmas such a big deal? We'll find our answer tonight in our text from the book of Matthew. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25 together. But before we do, I will provide some context. So the passage and the rest of the gospel account is written by the apostle Matthew. He was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. And his audience, who he's writing to, are both first century Greco-Roman Jews who have either accepted Jesus as the Messiah or were considering to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So in the Old Testament, God revealed himself and his word uh, throughout the span of the Old Testament, the last of which during prophet Malachi's ministry. And so when we read our text today, especially Matthew 121, which is, will be where our primary focus will be, it has been 400 years since his last word, a revelatory word in the Old Testament. So imagine your parents and your parents' parents, and your great-grandparents, and your great-great-grandparents, all the way to 400 years past, 16 to 20 generations of people who have come and gone, telling their children and their children's children about how God will fulfill his promises, waiting for God to send his Messiah to liberate his people from governmental tyranny. 20 generations later, Jews open Matthew's gospel account and read what we will read tonight. So, with that said, please follow along with me as I read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So for the rest of our time together, we will work through verse 21, starting with the very first word, she. She. Who is she? We know she is Mary, based on the immediate context. And over the course of church history, Christians have developed various views of Mary. Was she chosen by God because she was holy? Was she chosen because she was sinless in order to produce a sinless child? I would like to highlight two things we do know about Mary based on uh, our scripture passage today. The first truth is that Mary was a virgin. She was a virgin, specifically chosen by God to play a role in his redemptive history. This is important. She had to be a virgin as per the prophecy which Matthew quotes in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So Mary was a virgin. Secondly, a common Catholic belief is that Mary was a sinless person since she was considered the mother of God. Mary was clearly found in God's favor, but there is nothing in the Bible that that affirms that Mary was without sin. And in fact, Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous. No, not one, except God. So far, what do we learn about God? First word in our primary verse tonight, what do we learn about God? What we learn about God through Mary, who was a born sinner, but a chosen virgin is that our God is a gracious God who keeps his promise. He is a gracious God who keeps his promise. Isn't that amazing? A loving God showing his grace to undeserving people to fulfill the promises he made to them? So imagine, imagine this. Imagine you're a kid. Uh, it'll be easier for some of you than others. And your parents say to you, honey, we're going to take you out for ice cream. Uh, this Saturday. Why, you ask? Because we love you, and we want to give you some ice cream this Saturday. Since you're, you're excited, and you're like, I'm looking forward to this ice cream on Saturday. And on Monday, you get into a fight with one of your siblings. And on Tuesday, you show your parents the F you got on one of your homework assignments. And on Wednesday, you talk back to your mom, and you show a little bit of attitude toward your dad. And on Thursday, you hang out all night with your friends, and you come home really late. And on Friday, or on, on Friday, you roundhouse kick a student at school, and you get suspended. Saturday comes, and you're thinking, yeah, that ice cream thing's not going to happen. I love my parents, but I, diso- I disappointed them, and I don't deserve their kindness. And yet, and yet, your parents take you in their car, drive you to the ice cream parlor and buy you two scoops of your favorite ice cream for no other reason except that they love you and that they show grace to you and they keep their promise to you. So that's God, but infinitely more. He graciously chooses a sinner like Mary to bear a son as a virgin to bring forth the promised Messiah. Our God is a gracious God who keeps his promise. She will bear a son. 
So notice it doesn't say your son. This is the angel of the Lord speaking to Joseph. It, he, he doesn't say she will bear your son or bear you a son, not Joseph's son, but a son. And it wasn't that Joseph was displeasing to God. It wasn't that God rejected him. In fact, he's described as a just man and unwilling to put Mary to shame. That's verse 19. I think the simple point here that Matthew is making is that Jesus was not the son of Joseph, but he was the son of God. He was the son of God. He did not bear the image of Joseph, but Jesus bore the image of the invisible God. And although Joseph was not Jesus's earthly father, he was still charged by the angel to give Jesus his name. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So Jesus, that's an English name, that's an English word. But the English name Jesus comes from the Latin Jesus, which comes from the Greek Jesus, which comes from the Hebrew Yeshua. And Yeshua means Yah saves, or Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the personal name of God uh, in the Old Testament. Isn't that awesome? Jesus' own name proclaims the gospel. His own name proclaims the good news. Yahweh saves. And as exciting as that is, the Christian reader may find Jesus' name to be problematic. So, in the prophecy that Matthew refers to, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. But he's ne- his name is Jesus. Emmanuel, Jesus. He's not Emmanuel. So, did they get it wrong? Did Jesus not fulfill this particular prophecy? Maybe the prophecy is wrong. I would direct everyone's attention to the second phrase, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Joseph will call his name Yeshua, but they shall call his name Emmanuel. Um, For the past few weeks here at Embassy Church during the Sunday services, uh, many very talented members have uh, led the congregation in song with beautiful hymns uh, to include O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and O Little Town of Bethlehem, with the lyrics, Abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. So roughly 2,020 years later, we are still referring to Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus continues to be with us today, and we continue to fulfill this prophecy, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So at this point uh, in verse 21, the first century Jew uh, may be thinking, why is his name Yahweh saves? Is Yahweh going to save? And the apostle Matthew answers, yes, he will save. For she will bear a child, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save. Uh, In the Old Testament, salvation was almost always linked to God and what he did. So now I'm going to read some Old Testament verses to you. Uh, You don't have to turn there. I will provide the Bible references. But as I read them, I want you all to reflect on God's word and ask yourselves this question. Ask yourselves this question. Who saves? Who truly saves? I await for your salvation, O Lord. 
Genesis 49, 18. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That's Psalm 13, 5. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Psalm 22.1. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Psalm 44.4. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. That's Psalm 62, 1 and 2. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. That's Psalm 119, 123. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Verse, same chapter, verse 166 and 174. And this is the last verse. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. That's Isaiah 12, 2. So I ask you all again, who saves? In Matthew 121, Matthew writes that Jesus will save. What does that say about who Jesus really is? Wouldn't it be amazing if this pre-born child, Jesus Christ, was and is the same God in the Old Testament who from time and time again saved his people from utter and complete destruction? Wouldn't that be amazing? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people. Who are his people? Jews? Jews are definitely his people, Abraham's descendants. During Jesus' ministry, he told his disciples to proclaim the kingdom of heaven to the Jews first. He said, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 and 7. Apostle Paul says to the Roman church, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Romans 1.16. So the Jews were prophesied to be a vehicle of salvation for other nations. So his people are the Jews. What about the non-Jews? Most of us here are not ethnic Jews. I'm certainly not, uh, probably. What about us? Non-Jews are certainly included. Psalm 67, 2 says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. All nations. Paul says to the Galatian church, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed, so then those who are of faith, who are of faith, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's Galatians 3, 8 and 9, and that's Paul referencing Genesis 12, 3. So again, the first century Jew reading this, either 
a Jewish man or woman who uh, accepted Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the uh, anointed one, or uh, someone considering Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, is reading his people and thinking, I may be one of his people. Jesus will save his people, and I ask you all here tonight, are you one of his people? Are you someone who has put their faith and hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you one of his people that he will save from their sins? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What is sin? We hear that word a lot as Christians, sin. What is it? Is it an external uh, overarching evil power, kind of a uh, you might want you might get a sense of that in Romans seven. Is sin a stain in our environment that we are merely the product of? Uh, that's Psalm fifty one five. Maybe we're just kind of born into it. Is sin a living organism out to destroy us, as figuratively uh, figuratively depicted in Genesis four seven? Yet, in our verse tonight, Matthew 121, sin is plural, from their sins. So the responsibility is not put on something outside of us or something beyond our control, but our own personal actions. And in this sense, you could define sin as a human action that, per that personally offends God. Another way of saying that is, uh, is, uh, that, is that sin is any act of disobedience to God. It is a, is a human action that personally offends God, an act of disobedience to God. There's not a single time in the Bible, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, where God is pleased with the sin. There is never an exception. He always hates sin. He hates evil. Do you realize that your sins are what kills you every single day of your life? Did you know that your own personal sins damn you for all eternity? Opposition to an everlasting God has everlasting consequences. So what's the author's aim? That we just read the entire verse, verse 21. What's Matthew's aim here to his original first century Jewish audience? I think his aim is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Christ. And Jesus Christ is is Savior. He saves. This is, this is good news. This is amazing news. So before we existed, human beings, before we existed, before the universe existed, God was. God was. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one being, one God, in perfect unity and in perfect harmony and in perfect community existed and he created everything and he made everything good to include human beings man which he made in his image man and woman adam and eve the first human beings and he created adam and eve to have a perfect holy relationship with them yet three pages into my 1200 page bible three chapters into the bible story adam and eve disobey god they sin against the holy God three chapters in. 
Because Adam and Eve were no longer holy and righteous, as God is holy and righteous, God had to separate himself from his people. Light and darkness cannot coexist. He pushed them out of the Garden of Eden, and since then, every single human being that has ever lived sinned against this holy God. In this sinful mess, God reveals his salvific plan to a man named Abraham, and he says, in your offspring, I will bless the nations. God promised Abraham Jesus Christ. God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, sends himself down in the form of a man. He fulfilled the prophecy of the virgin birth, as we read. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus Christ is God the Son uh, in the flesh, sent by God the Father, conceived by God the Holy Spirit. He lived the perfect life, completely and totally sinless. And yet he was still legally charged of crimes he did not commit, and he was crucified on a cross. We crucified the innocent God-man. Jesus became a curse for us, Galatians 3. He who knew no sin became a sin for us, that's 2 Corinthians 5. And as Bible readers, we witness God's terrifying wrath and justice poured out onto his son. The terrifying wrath and justice that we deserved was received by Jesus Christ. We also see God's inexplicable Grace and mercy demonstrated in the person of works of Jesus Christ, his substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary meaning Jesus in our place. Atonement meaning to make right a previous wrong. God demonstrates his grace and his mercy through the person and works of Jesus Christ and his substitutionary atonement. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Why? Our verse tonight said it. So that he would save his people from their sins. He died on the cross and he was buried. And on the third day, he raised himself up from the dead. He conquered death, spiritual death, physical death. He made his appearance known to his disciples for 40 additional days and then ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And as promised, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in those who would put their faith and trust in him. He continues to do that today. 21st century Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who love Jesus Christ, who have put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Two truths from Matthew 1.21. The first truth is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the, he is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. Jesus is the fulfillment of of the Old Testament scriptures, the law, the writings, the prophecies, the first century Jewish uh, Christian or uh, considering to be Christian, reading this text thinking, is this him? We've been waiting for 400 years. These are the stories that my family has passed down from generation to generation. Is he finally here? Is this him? The second truth is that Jesus Christ is the savior of our sins. God the Son was born so that we may be born again. God was born once so that we may be born twice. That's John chapter 3. So everyone has a physical birth. But in order to be born again or born of the Spirit, you need to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The eternal, infinite, pre-existent God gave himself a birthday so that he may be glorified in his salvation for the world. 
So what does this mean for us today? What is Embassy Church supposed to do with Matthew 121? And uh, for the past seven days, at the advice of Pastor Phil, um, I've allowed this to simmer uh, in my soul. Uh, what, is, what, is, what does God want me to do with Matthew 121? But the question I kept asking myself day after day while I let this simmer was this. Did it work? Did Matthew 121 work? And then it hit me. If it did work, which I believe it did, then we have to tell people about it. We have to proclaim this good news. Seven and a half billion people on this planet need to know about Matthew 121. Eternal unity with the Father in heaven is at stake for the spiritually lost. It's a big deal. And one of the best ways I believe to do this, to share Matthew 121, is to share your testimony. Share your story with someone you love who may or may not know Jesus. Tell them about how Jesus Christ turned your life upside down. That's what happens when you encounter Jesus. Share with others your deep love for the, uh, for the Father, your utter satisfaction in Jesus Christ, and the faith and hope uh, you experience through the Holy Spirit. If you are hearing this message and you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but your relationship with him has gone stale and lukewarm, maybe for the past couple of months, maybe for a couple of years, maybe decades. It's not too late if you can hear this message, and I would encourage you, I would highly encourage you to simply pray to him, simply talk to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to save you from your sins. That is why he came. Matthew 121 worked. It happened. That is why he came. So, why is Christmas such a big deal? Right? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 121 is why Christmas is such a big, big deal. Uh, Merry Christmas, Embassy. Uh, if you would join me with me in a uh, word of prayer. Gracious Holy God, thank you so much for making yourself into a man and dying for our sins. Uh, we did not deserve it. None of us deserve your love or your grace or your mercy. We deserve your wrath and justice, and yet you saved us from our sins anyway, and you've given us a new life, and you've renewed us and made us, you've completely and totally transformed us. I ask, Lord, that you remind us every day, as today and tomorrow on Christmas Day, that we are with you and we are of you and we are in Christ. And for those who have not yet experienced your life-changing love, I pray, Lord, I beg you that you reach out to them and you reveal yourself to them as you have revealed yourself to us. We love you. In your son Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.